The NFL season is a go and finally upon us. Our NFL writer Ben Fisher is here to set the table and talk about the massive stakes hanging in the balance not only for the league, but also networks and advertisers. Then we'll bring in executive editor and publisher Abe Madcor. All that and whatever else comes up once we get talking here in the far-flung work-from-home newsroom of Sports Business Journal. I'm Bill King, and this is First Look. The NFL is not only the dominant property in sports television, it's the dominant property in all of television. 41 of the 50 most-watched shows last year were NFL games. For the four months of the regular season, Anheuser-Busch will devote its entire marketing budget, more than $100 million, to the NFL. This season that is scheduled to open Thursday night on NBC is of unparalleled importance to all who have a stake in it. And to talk about that story is our NFL writer, Ben Fisher. Ben, we've learned at least three things watching other leagues resume so far, right? We've learned one, bubbles work. We've seen that in the NBA, in NHL, and MLS. Granted, over abbreviated spans of a season, and so very different, and that's why we see baseball and the NFL taking a different approach. They have to handle entire seasons, which leads us to two. From baseball, we know team outbreaks are rare. We've only seen a few of them. But also from baseball, we know team outbreaks can wreak havoc on an entire league and its scheduling. So with that as a backdrop, as we head into the NFL, is that the the core question that is circling here? What happens if and will we have that if? Yeah, I think that's that's basically it. Um, the what happens is a little bit vague by design because I think the league and its advisors say that you know it can be counterproductive to prejudge a situation. It would depend exactly who's who's tested positive, exactly what their situation is, and you know what what sort of normal activities might still be able to proceed um, if, if we go down that path. Um, the more difficult question is once you get out of the immediate realm of team operations and executing a game or not executing a game. What gets really complicated, as uh, as my article in this week's last week's journal says, this week's journal still, I guess, is, uh, you know, what the rest of the world that depends on football does if we start canceling games or delaying games or, um, you know, shifting the schedule around. It gets really complicated and really unpleasant for a lot of different people. And and an awful lot of people are sort of sitting at the edge of their seats right now. I mean, there's, you think about from networks to sponsors, this is a massive piece of, of, of what everyone who's involved in sports or almost everyone who's involved in sports does, right? You, you spoke to a lot of people about that. Right, right. And, and where this story um, originated is just a drumbeat of conversations I've had with people across the industry, people who are in football or not. And I'd sort of ask them, you know, what's, what's your upshot of this overall pandemic situation? What do you think the bottom line is? And most of them were some version of, hey, if this is a short-term thing that knocks out the spring and summer, we'll bounce back in no time. Um, if we're talking about a fall sports season that's materially affected and God and the NFL is is seriously injured, then you know this is something that you know fundamentally threatens us as a as a going concern, or you know that changes the way sports works for an indefinite period. So so there's so much writing on the NFL putting this together because of its size, but also because of its um, 
its reputation and its uh, and its leadership role, the sense that if the NFL can't figure this out, well, then nobody can. So things are probably worse than we realize. I, I get that. And I get that that's, again, that's sort of that. We've talked about this before, right? That NFL ethos. There's a, there's a bit of a, I use the word arrogance. <laughs> I know they probably aren't crazy about that word, but the, but, but I think many people who have, who, who have watched this for a while across lots of different, uh, lot, across a long span in lots of different situations, it would probably come away with that assessment. However, what, what, what I think is, is, is absolutely different here and does make them different from everybody, we just saw the entire sports business. I mean, outside of the pandemic, we saw the entire U.S. sports business, the games anyway, shut down uh, for one, two, three days, depending on what sport we're talking about. Um, and with those schedules, it was an inconvenience, but they resumed. They moved the date and things got back on track and takes a few days Case of baseball, there's some makeup games. Case of the NBA and the NHL, they had to again move this game to here, move that game to there, push things back. But you know what? We're all figuring it out as we go along anyway. That's kind of like the theme of 2020, right? We figure it out as we go along. So you figure it out. That won't be the case, or it won't be quite so easy in the case of the NFL. We're talking about this weekly campfire on Sunday, right? Complemented by a few weeknights, but um, but but generally a weekly campfire on Sunday night. And again, in a sport where pushing things back a day, two days, and then running into the next game really wreaks havoc. Right. And I think that's why even though optimism is very high about the NFL right now, you're never going to get to 100% optimism because of just the the little room for error you've got in the NFL season. To the league's credit, they structured a schedule that could be moved around in some ways. You know, there's a lot of little Easter eggs inside of the schedule that uh, would account for some things. You know, every team has a home and away in the first two weeks of the season. So if they need to, at the last second, push week one out, um, you know, then it becomes less problematic. You know, we've reported that, uh, you know, the way divisional games are bunched up in the schedule, they could shift things to the end of the year without having too much of an effect in competitive balance. Uh, You know, the commissioner is putting together an advisory committee to help uh, decide what happens if there's an uneven number of games played. So they've tried to build some of that flexibility into it. But the fact of the matter is you play one game a week, there's only 16 games. And even missing one of those games throws a lot of things into into turmoil. And uh, unlike baseball, where you could theoretically play a doubleheader every day for the rest of the month, <laughs> you, there's only so much given a football schedule. So you're absolutely right about that. And that plus just the nature of the game with, with men breathing on each other and literally coming into contact with each other on every play in the large rosters gives a sense of no matter how good things might be at the moment, it could it could fall apart in a hurry at any time, and that's just the nature of the sport. And that that's that informs some of that that nervousness, even though people are, are pretty optimistic about things in the moment. So, what's at stake for the networks? And by the way, again, we're talking about a property here where we're impacting multiple networks. Right? You're talking about Fox. You're talking about NBC's most viewed programming. Uh, you're talking about CBS. You're talking about ABC, ESPN. All of them impacted by this. How? Well, to, to start with, um, the network sold $5.7 billion worth of ads on NFL games last year. That doesn't include the Super Bowl, so tack on that big number in the Super Bowl. Um, so that's obviously bad. That's revenue that goes away or at least is you know severely threatened. Um, but as I talked with people in the media industry for this story, you know, not to dismiss $5.7 billion, but 
eh, you know, in some ways, that's not that much money for these guys. The, the bigger problem is the strategy, the strategic importance of the NFL. Um, somebody said, I mean, what is direct TV right now? If Sunday ticket doesn't exist, I mean, it's, it's widely derided as an inferior product compared to a lot of its competitors. You hear a lot of people complaining about it, but it's still the only way to get out of market NFL games. I, I mean, that's not quite true. As true as it used to be. There's, there's some other things you can do, but bottom line is if you live in Denver and you're a Steelers fan, you need Sunday ticket. So what is the value of direct TV without an NFL season? That's just one of the more obvious ones. But then you think about, you know, all of the CBS programs that, you know, I have never heard of except for when Jim Nance promos them during the, during the games on Sunday and that everything these team, these companies do is built off of the audiences they aggregate during NFL games. Think about, I mean, surely NBC can expect to aggressively promote Peacock, CBS, all access, all of that. And, you know, if there's no NFL season, then there's just not many places to put those broad, strategically important messages for audiences. And um, that is as big a deal as the as the money, honestly, as the, these these networks are trying to keep up with the rapidly changing consumption habits. And one of the few places they can still get messages to people at scale is the NFL. Amid all this uncertainty of all these other sports schedules and and, and that long, dark period that we had, you had sponsors looking ahead, trying to figure out what comes in the fall. And largely they decided to stick it out, right? And and cross their fingers and hope this goes on. One of those Anheuser-Busch, how much is at stake for them over these next few months? Um, well, I, and you know, I want to preface this by saying I don't want to be overly dramatic. These are large companies run by creative people, and there's always somewhere else to put a beer beer ad. But um, you know, for now, based on the NFL's direction, it's all systems go, which means a typical marketing budget for Anheuser Busch puts basically the entire Bud Light marketing machine ties at the hip to the NFL starting in late August. That's $100 million for Bud Light alone. And it's not that it's going away in other sports, but the assumption has been that the NFL season is going to happen um, as as usual. And that's another one of the things that maybe builds into some of these high stakes here. They're like, unlike other, the other sports that have been understood to be, we're going to knock on wood and a wing and a prayer, the, the message out of the NFL has been, we're going to go normal and then only adjust as absolutely necessary. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Peacock is a great example, right? I mean, the, it, this used to be, and, and still is to a degree, uh, about, and I'll take you back probably to your childhood. It wasn't my childhood. I was fully grown and baked by at that point. But, you know, the the running joke, murder she wrote, right? I mean, that was that... <laughs> <laughs> that was that West Coast CBS game every year. Right. Uh, you know, we, we heard we heard what was going to be on 60 Minutes. And then, uh, oh, by the way, here comes Murder, She Wrote. And, and so that was that was very much their hook. Well, now that hook, to your point, right, it is Peacock. ESPN, you know, a good reminder, the ESPN Plus is out there. Um, all those things are, 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 are will be promoted heavily here, right? What else? Well, um, all of the streaming services, any of your shows that you hope to still bring an audience to during the, your, your scripted programming, which, you know, sometimes in our world feels like it doesn't even exist. But still, there's a difference between nobody watching and a few million people watching those things. And one way to do that is to, to, to drive the viewership and through promos on the, on the NFL broadcast. Um, you know, as you get down this path, it's uh, the advertising revenue. It's the, um, you know, the marketing budgets for all the major sponsors of the league. Uh, you know, Verizon is um, putting, 
you know, 5G and all of its stadiums where it has local or it already has put 5G and is going to continue to beat that drum. And if there's there's no football, then, you know, they have to reconsider that. Lowe's always is heavy in this. Uh, the list goes on. I mean, it's hard to say. Yeah. And, and oh, by the way, the all those sponsorship programs, all those activations, there's hard costs associated with that, right? This isn't just as simple. Yes, you can pick up and move. Yes, you can, to your point, which is a good one, always find someplace else to put a beer commercial. But what else are you going to do with all those, you know, Denver Broncos beer cans? Right. Um, what else are you going to do with all those, you know, wall, all those um, uh, in-store displays? What else are you going to do? I don't know how many states have bars open right now, but what else are you going to do with all that stuff that goes in the bars? That's spent and delivered and not of much use if there are no games. Right, right. And clearly the big dollars, the big, big dollars are on the advertising media side of this. But, you know, in some ways, the bigger risk is to the uh, more traditional marketing exercises because, you know, like as you said, you, you can't, you have to commit to that at some point. You know, most products that have an NFL or a team logo um, going out into stores into the world right now were shipped in early August, if not sooner than that. And, you know, there could be an argument to be made that all of that's okay without football games. You know, in theory, you can still still do a campaign without the games. But um, the guys at Anheuser-Busch said to me for this story that we don't want to be reminding people of what's not there. So we intend to take a loss and just pull that stuff and bury it if the football season doesn't happen for some reason. And I think that's got to be more more common than not just because, yes, you could think up a way to spin your packaging on for at a bar or wherever that that with there's no actual games i think that's a pretty good instinct to not want to remind people of what they're missing let's play the what if game smartly and quite fairly i think the nfl is not etching in stone okay if eight players or two quarterbacks or whatever um are on the covid list this is what happens to the game that is going to be a wait and see that's going to be a game time decision right i i get that but let's do the what if instead. What do you think the bar turns out to be? And then what gets set into place? How does that move? Because again, you know, you look at, we saw it with baseball. It wasn't as simple as this game won't be played because that impacted another game, which impacted another team, which impacted the schedule. It, it got really complicated. So what do you think the NFL looks like? If, if in fact you do have a situation where they say, yeah, that team can't travel. Well, to be clear, this is all in the realm of speculation. They have not shared this. There, there's not a lot of really great reporting on exactly what would happen when. I don't think they have a what happens when. No, I think you're right. I think you're right about that. I think that they, you know, part of it is is cynical. Like I, I, I've used this analogy before, but it's, you know, me promising my mom when I was 19 years old, driving back to college during a snowstorm that I would pull over if the weather got bad. And I would say, of course, but then I would never exactly stipulate what precise conditions would require me to do that. So I just get slower and slower and I'm not, not, I'm not going to not get back to campus. So you just put your head down and and power through. Um, So, I I mean, so, so that's cynical, but also it makes sense because every outbreak is going to be different. You know, four, four cases, four positive test results would be enough to cause a real problem for a team if there were all quarterbacks or all offensive linemen. 
Uh, on the other hand, you know, you might be able to figure out your way through 15 if they're distributed among uh, position groups and you're able to replace them with guys in the practice roster. And here's the big one. You're certain that everyone else on the team is negative. I think that's where games start to get canceled is if you start getting positive tests within 24 to 36 hours of a game and you just can't get that level of certainty that the rest of the team is clear. Um you know, they've expanded the practice rosters to 16. Um, you know, if you got a couple of cases come up during the week, say on a Wednesday, Tuesday or Wednesday, and you run through the protocols, and by Saturday you're certain that it's just those five guys, you know, they'll figure out a way to get through that. The, 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 the muddy situation of, oh, my God, we've got a positive. It's Saturday. The teams around the league have all started to travel. We don't know who's positive or negative. We can't responsibly put these people out into the field. Um, that's, that's, I think where games start to get canceled. Um, and that's imagining sort of a one-off or a two-off, maybe a couple of games get canceled. And then in that situation, we, we get into the schedule flexibility where they could put that into a bye week later in the week, even add a week on to the end of the season without too much trouble. The thing that I think we know the least about is at what point would you cancel an entire week of games? I do think there is a certain number of games that if they were impacted by an outbreak, it would be easier or more logical for the league to say nobody's playing this Sunday and we're going to move this week in in mass to somewhere later in the season. I don't know if that's three games or six games. And I don't think anyone's got great insights on that. The league really is taking it as it comes. Well, that gets back to something that I do think they have to have scenario planned for. And that, and, 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 we talked about this once before on the podcast, you and I, you know, there is a, what is your appetite for viewing competitive balance in a different way than you ever did before, right? So at what point are you ready to acknowledge the, as the NBA did, as the NHL did to finish this season, we have to do things a little differently. Everybody is not necessarily going to play the games they were supposed to play. And yeah, that might mean that, you played a tougher schedule than that team. Um, that's just the way it goes. You know, in baseball, again, very regionalized in terms of the schedule. And then, oh, by the way, just an acknowledgement that if one team plays fewer games than the other, we will go by winning percentage, and that's just the way it goes. All of those were, were, were sort of accepted. I think that's been difficult for NFL owners, at least up to this point. Um, but is that, yeah, that gets back to your point, right? That's, that would be the easy way to say, let's lop off this week because now we've all played the same number of games, but at the same time, you just lopped off all those games. That means, you know, that, that means make goods to all those sponsors. That means make goods to those networks. At what point are you willing to compromise on what you used to think of as competitive integrity? Because that's just the only way to make a business decision right now. Well, I think the storyline along those along that question is a gap that is already there and could grow to be quite large between the football people and the business people. I think that the owners and the CFOs and team presidents of the league have already decided that they're perfectly comfortable with a certain amount of imprecision in the season. Um, they've they're they're fine with that. Their position is we're going to play every game we possibly can because. We need to find every penny in our couch cushions right now. Uh, it's the owners and the GMs and the players that are most likely to complain about anything that seems to be unfair. Um, 
you know, we saw this back as early as the draft planning in late March, where the owners and the commissioner were like, of course, we're going to have the draft. There's nothing about this that has to be in person. It's not going to be quite the same, but we'll dominate TV for three nights, sell a lot of ads, and we're going to make some money. That's fine. If you don't quite have the same level of assurance about your 15 in-person draft picks and all of your psychological mind games you like to play with your prospects, then that's just tough. You'll be fine. Um, and we're seeing that again a couple of weeks ago. Well, or just just last week or this week, uh, when Sean McDermott, the Bills coach, complained about the uh, number of fans that you know they'll be playing in front of crowds in Miami and road games, but not when they host Miami and Buffalo, and that's a competitive imbalance. And you know, I'm not saying he's wrong about that, but the owners are clearly fine with that. It's just the football guys who are going to complain about that. And at what point the owners start to see, okay, this is a bridge too far. This is just just too far gone. I don't know, but the, they ultimately make the decisions, and they clearly have a much higher tolerance for that than the football guys do. It is interesting that they've made it a market by market decision in terms of whether you can have fans in the building. Because again, that is that's going to that 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 is going to lead to financial imbalance. That is going to also lead to competitive imbalance. Some would argue, although I don't know. I mean, a half empty stadium or a seventy five percent empty stadium or a 85% empty stadium. I'm not sure how much of a home field advantage that really is. I think the home field advantage there is probably sleeping in your own bed, right? But, um, right. but, oh. but there's no question those people will have those conversations. They already have two new stadiums opening, right? LA and Vegas will open without fans. What is what, What's it look like across the league? How 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 spread out are we in terms of they're talking about you know a half a half a house in Dallas, which is pretty big. We'll see whether that actually happens. Uh, and they're talking about empty houses in a lot of places. How how is the balance shake out in that regard heading into the season? First of all, I'm a big skeptic on an actual home field advantage based off having 15,000 people in the stadium. Yeah. As a long connoisseur of Pittsburgh Pirates home games, I can tell you that if you're less than 40% full, I think it's arguably a detriment to the home team because you can hear every individual smart-ass remark from the seats. Um, but I'm only partially joking about that. So I think the fact that Miami has 13,000 fans, most of them widely separated from each other, that doesn't come anywhere near I, – think materially affecting the bill's ability to, to execute on the field. But I'm not a football guy. I, I don't mean to dismiss that entirely. I just don't think the numbers are there when I think of what a home field advantage truly is in terms of a raucous house, you know. Um, and at least for now to start the season, we are talking about widely spread out crowds. Um, I ran the numbers in my newsletter yesterday and my very rough ballpark based on some guesswork about where the Cowboys come out and where the Colts and the Browns come out. Those are the three teams left that have not given us specific indications of their attendance policies. But um, my best sense is there's about 3% of all tickets that would normally be available across 32 home openers are actually going to be sold to the public. Um, no fans at all, I think, and we're up to 27 teams now and counting. And only three have confirmed that they will definitely have fans. And then we're still waiting on those other three, although we can we can count on Dallas having some. So the overwhelming majority of football, at least in the month of September, will be played in front of no fans at all whatsoever. There really is no other story heading into this season in many ways other than this one. But I got to ask you, anything else you're watching? Uh, as we talk about these, these uh, various uh, pain thresholds for – competitive balance and, you know, what it would take to close down entire weeks versus individual games. One slightly legalistic but important factor is that the collective bargaining agreement obligates the owners to do everything they can to maximize league revenues. 
So, you know, things are pretty positive with the union right now. I don't want to immediately jump into a legal court battle. I think that, you know, there's a lot of understanding there, but that is something you have to keep in mind when we talk about why is the league allowing fans in some stadiums and not in others? Why might the league, you know, keep 14 games on the schedule, even if two of them have to be canceled, even if it's not ideal from a competitive fairness standpoint? at least on paper, the lawyers would say that the owners are obligated to execute as much football as they can. So I don't want to prejudge the situation, but it's not difficult to imagine a scenario in which that's a very real thing where the league's labor lawyers tell them, you are risking a grievance if you don't play those other games and if you don't let fans in, because the players might argue that you are intentionally keeping numbers down. Yeah, I I don't know. That, That may be speculative, but I think it's an important thing to remember. All right, Ben Fisher, as we head into this NFL season, unlike any before it. Thanks so much. Thanks, Bill. Looking forward to it. First Look is available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you're a fan of our podcast, subscribe on your mobile device to have First Look delivered right to your phone every Monday morning. Now we turn to executive editor and publisher, Abe Madcor. Abe? Thanks, Bill. Good to be with everybody on First Look. Hope everyone is doing well. Hope you all had a great Labor Day weekend. I know that we've been talking a lot about NFL. I love this time of year. There's so many things I'm excited about and watching. Of course, I'll be watching the new building, SoFi Stadium, Allegiant Stadium. I'm going to be looking to see how they look and how they operate. Unfortunately, we will not be able to see how they operate with fans, but they're still going to be unbelievable buildings. I'm really interested in the game presentation of the NFL. I'm very interested to see how NFL games present themselves well on television without a live audience. I'm certainly interested in markets like Kansas City, markets like Jacksonville that will allow fans and how that works, because that will be the template for other cities and other municipalities, whether or not to green light fans coming back to the buildings. In terms of teams, of course, I'll be watching the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. What they're trying to do and what Tom Brady's trying to do is utterly fascinating. I'm also, of course, watching how New England reacts to a post-Brady, post-Gronk era. But the people I'm watching most closely in this upcoming season are the owners. I'm really curious to see how visible and how opinionated and how open owners are in terms of speaking about some of the social justice and social movement and their comments on racism and social injustice. Because right now, we haven't seen a lot from owners. Because so far, we've seen players stand up. Players, specifically NBA players, but in other sports, have led in making this protest about systemic racism and equality very, very public. And there's been a lot of discussion of whether NFL players might take an action. Could they sit out a week? And if they do, what will be the owner's response? So that's what I'm looking for. Just recently, NFL Packers president Mark Murphy specifically called out owners to step up and join the players in the fight for racial equality and social justice. He said the owners are powerful and they are in privileged positions and can make a huge difference. Eagles owner Jeffrey Lurie is one of the few to speak so far. He's spoken publicly and he says he sensed a sea change in the hearts and minds of the NFL's other owners. Meanwhile, the NFL's executive vice president, Troy Vincent, 
also agreed with Lurie that the owner's mindset seems to be different in 2020, but he acknowledged that the players can't do things alone. They have to have support from club owners. So we were going to see what the sea change among ownership means. I mean, will they be more active in setting up financial and investment opportunities? Will there be more opening of NFL facilities as polling places? Will NFL owners support players if players take a stand or take a knee or even take a weekend of a pause and not play? So those are the issues I'm really interested in and I'll be following and watching because owners will be asked about this. And a lot of owners aren't comfortable ever speaking to the media or especially offering strong opinions about political or social issues. So let's see who speaks. Let's see the support they give their players. But that's going to be, I think, an ongoing narrative for the upcoming NFL season. Another thing I do want to get on people's radar, in a couple of weeks, we have great events in September. We've got our Access Sports Facilities Franchises and Ticketing Symposium on September 22nd and 23rd. We'll be looking at all issues related to ticketing, venue operations, venue safety, communicating with fans, communicating with stakeholders, communicating with constituents. So it's going to be two days of a lot of very interesting issues we're going to look at. Meanwhile, a week later on September 30th, we'll have our 2020 Sports Business Awards, a virtual event, of course. We'll be awarding winners in a number of categories. We're also going to be celebrating sports' role as a leader during a time of crisis. It's going to be a 90-minute show. It's going to be very, I hope, motivational, inspirational, and powerful. Love to have you join us. And we're also going to be celebrating our Lifetime Achievement Award winner, Larry Tannenbaum from Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. He is a phenomenal, fascinating story of leadership in the sports business. And we'll be honoring our Celebration of Service Award winner, Team Impact, which are doing great things in local communities. So it promises to be a very, very fun night, and I think an important night. And I really hope you can join us to come to either one of these virtual events. Either reach out to me and I'll give you information or go to our website where you can learn more. So a lot going on. Again, we've got this fast sprint to the end of the year. There's so much happening. Love to have you be part of it with us. I made Matt Core for first look. Back to you, Bill King. Thanks, Abe. That's going to do it for this week. For Abe Madcor, Ben Fisher, and our producer, Chris Mason, I'm Bill King, and this has been First Look. 